Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Are e-cigarettes effective in helping smokers to quit? It's one of the most hotly contested questions in the battle over vaping, but an answer may finally be in hand. According to the latest Cochrane Review of Electronic Cigarettes for Smoking Cessation, there is high certainty evidence that nicotine vapes are more effective than traditional nicotine replacement therapies, such as nicotine patches and gum, in helping people to quit smoking. Joining us today to discuss the evidence is Dr. Jamie Hartman-Boyce, lead researcher on the review and associate professor at Oxford's Nuffield Department of Primary Care Health Sciences. Dr. Hartman-Boyce, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Before we dive into the results of the 2022 review, tell us about Cochrane and why it's held in such high esteem. Absolutely. So Cochrane is a global nonprofit and it exists to help people make healthcare decisions using the best available evidence. So whether that be policymakers, clinicians, people who are deciding on healthcare treatments themselves, what Cochrane does is it brings together all the evidence in a specific area using very rigorous and transparent methods. And it summarizes that evidence so that people making decisions have it on hand. Now, why is it known as the gold standard? It's known as the gold standard because the methods that we use. So the Cochrane Handbook sets out a very detailed set of methods that we use to do our analyses, to find our studies. And crucially, we're not just thinking about what the studies show, but also one of the things we do is that we kind of pick them apart in quite a lot of detail to figure out how much we can trust them as well. Dr. Herman Boyce, why are randomized controlled trials so important? Randomized controlled trials are considered the best way to assess the effects of an intervention if it's possible to do them, and it definitely is in this case. And the reason for that is that a well-designed, well-conducted randomized controlled trial is able to rule out essentially the effects of different factors, which we might call confounding factors. So when we run a randomized controlled trial, if we run it well, and we're looking at, let's say, e-cigarettes for helping people stop smoking, the only difference between the arms should be that one group was given nicotine e-cigarettes to help them stop smoking. If, on the other hand, you said, actually, I want to look at real-world evidence and just compare people who use nicotine e-cigarettes to people who don't and see how likely they are to be smoking, there are all sorts of things that could be driving associations between the two that might not actually be causal. So if we're talking about cause and effect, if possible, we want to be looking at randomized controlled trials. And randomized trials, controlled trials then are certainly better than observational. Absolutely. I mean, it depends what you're looking at, but here what we're looking at is the effect of doing something. So giving someone a nicotine e-cigarette to help them stop smoking. And in that case, absolutely a trial is, is the best form of evidence we have. So the Cochrane Review is a study of studies. Explain that. So what we do in the Cochrane Review is we go a step further and we bring the results of these trials together into a systematic review. That's important because these studies, some of them might have issues, but also none of them kind of, none of us can afford to do studies of millions of people usually. And so there is some play of chance that goes on. If you see a difference in a study of 200 people, it's really difficult to tell statistically if that difference is due to chance or to something genuine that's going on in the study itself. And so what we do is we combine the results across studies. And if they start showing the same things, that can make us more certain of the overall result. Now, what does a living systemic review mean? 
Yeah. So what that means is that we go out and we search for new evidence every month to feed into this review. We're doing this with support from Cancer Research UK. We don't do it for all of our reviews. It's really time intensive. But we felt with this particular review, like it's a very important review. We know that people are making decisions about e-cigarettes all the time, whether it be policymakers or people who smoke who might be thinking about switching. And we also know that there's a lot of studies in the pipeline and we wanted to make sure that we could integrate their findings as soon as they came out instead of having to, let's say, wait two years to include another trial in our analysis. So jumping into then what you're studying, uh, what is the main question that drives the review? So in this particular review, we're looking at whether electronic cigarettes with nicotine can help people stop smoking and if it's safe to use them for that purpose. And obviously the, the question is, why is this important to study? It's really important to study. So I've worked in smoking cessation uh, study in ways that people can quit smoking for some time. We know that most adults who smoke want to quit smoking. And we also know that for a lot of people, just wanting to quit is not enough. Smoking is really addictive. There's all sorts of things that can make it really difficult to quit. And though we have evidence-based stop smoking treatments like nicotine replacement therapy, varenicline counseling, lots of things have been tried those won't work for everyone. And so we need to kind of keep on adding to our toolkit of things that can help people stop smoking. And when nicotine e-cigarettes came out, we thought, well, maybe that's one of the ways that we can help people stop smoking. And so indeed, this is the question that was all the way back at the start then in 2012? Absolutely, absolutely. So we kind of set out and started thinking about this review back in 2012 when e-cigarettes were first really coming onto the market and getting in the public consciousness here in the UK and have kind of continued to update it throughout that time. So it's been wonderful to see more and more studies come out looking at this question. And back then there certainly was a lot of misunderstanding around the around e-cigarettes. There was, I mean, there still is. So back then, absolutely, there was quite a lot of misunderstanding. And also just really, there wasn't that much evidence at that point, realistically. Um, so there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lack of evidence. There was some misunderstanding. What one of the frustrating things has been about working on this review for you know 12 years, 10 years now, um, is that year on year, we get more and more evidence and yet uncertainties and misunderstandings seem to year on year grow as opposed to reduce. So I suppose back in 2012, 2013, 2014, there was a lot of uncertainty that was really genuine. Um, we now of course have some questions where we don't have very much evidence, but in other areas, the evidence base really has grown quite substantially. So it's definitely been frustrating for you and your team then to see that there still is a lot of misinformation out there. There's more now than ever. Yeah, yeah, it is frustrating. And I think for us, it makes us really try and think hard about the way in which we communicate our messages responsibly and try and get the messages out there as best we can. But it is, it is really frustrating, particularly for me when I hear people who smoke say, oh, well, I don't want to switch to vaping because it's just another form of addiction or it's just as harmful as smoking or it's more harmful than smoking. And there you think actually the evidence suggests otherwise and, and somehow that message isn't getting to the people who most need to hear it. 
I know the audience right now is going, when are you guys going to get to it? Get to it. Get to the report. So uh, <laughs> but before we do, let's just talk about the primary outcomes. What are you measuring uh, right now currently? So we look at a number of different things, but the main things we're interested in, our primary outcomes are how many people stop smoking at six months or longer. Um, we're particularly interested in data at the longest follow-up point that the study measures. We're also interested in adverse events and serious adverse events. So serious adverse events are the ones that might require hospitalization or be very, very risky. Adverse events are things that aren't kind of a life or death situation, but still can make it pretty unpleasant to use a product. So those are the three main things we look at, but we also look at a number of different outcomes such as measures of toxins and non-carcinogens. So Dr. Hartman Boyce, here is a infographic that came out with your media release. And there's three key messages that uh, you and the team delivered. And let's do the first one here, that there is high certainty evidence that electronic cigarettes with nicotine increase quit rates compared with nicotine replacement therapy. Walk us through that. So what that means is we went out and we combined data from studies in which people were randomized in one arm to receive nicotine containing e-cigarettes to help them quit smoking and in the other arm to traditional nicotine replacement therapy, by which I mean things like patches, gums, lozenges, sometimes a combination of patches and a short acting form like gums. And then they look at six months or longer to see how many people have quit smoking uh, and compare essentially the different arms. And what we had for the first time in this iteration of the review was high certainty evidence that more people were successfully quitting smoking at six months or longer in those nicotine e-cigarette arms compared to those nicotine replacement therapy arms. And because these were randomized controlled trials, this is the kind of finding that we look at to try and, and tease out cause and effect. So in researchers speak, this is a pretty strong statement. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot for us to say we have high certainty evidence in an area. So we do have very rigorous standards around this and the standards that we use for saying a body of evidence is high certainty, for example, are kind of uniform across the board. So whatever intervention we're looking at, whatever field we're looking at, we have to meet certain criteria in order to be able to say that there is high certainty evidence. And what we mean in researchers speak when we say that is we think that it's very unlikely that a future study is going to come out and completely shift the way we think about this meaningfully. So we think that future studies are unlikely to change our conclusions around that point. No, that definitely is strong. Yes. Could you provide an example in another field of something that has high certainty evidence that the audience might be familiar with? Great question. Well, I can think of some really obvious examples. So for example, I have type one diabetes. There's definitely high certainty evidence that insulin is critical for survival in type one diabetes. Um, if we think of other things like, I don't know, aspirin for the prevention of heart attacks, my sense is that we have high certainty evidence there as well. Wow. That's impressive then. It's exciting for us because we look at a number of different things when we're deciding whether or not we have a high certainty evidence base. And those include things like the quality of the studies, whether they're at risk of bias. They include whether the studies measure what we're really setting out to look at, um, whether there are unexplained differences between the results of studies, whether we have any concerns that 
certain studies haven't been published because of what they've found. And also finally, really the size of the studies and the number of the events that were happening. And that was the thing in this particular body of evidence when we're looking at whether or not nicotine e-cigarettes were more likely to help people stop smoking the nicotine replacement therapy at six months or longer. We were kind of stuck on moderate certainty for a little while. And the reason for that was simply that we didn't have that many studies in the studies that we did have, they weren't huge studies. We didn't have that many people achieving our primary outcome, which was quitting smoking at six months or longer. So we've been really watching the evidence closely as part of the living systematic review process. And whenever new trials have come out, we've been thinking about, do we think this is, is this the one that's going to tip us over the edge, essentially into high certainty? And you just mentioned uh, some of the previous, now I didn't know the right term to call it. So I was like evidence statement or, or something like that along that lines. But if you go back now, 2012, when it first started, you didn't have a statement like this, but for several years, the evidence was low or very low. And then in 2020 uh, was the first time that you brought out moderate certainty and you had uh, the 2021 report and an update, another one update in 2021 too as well. So moderate certainty. And then here we are at high certainty. So what was it that really took things over the, over the edge uh, to have an, a short period of time to be get to push into this area where you have the strongest evidence yet? It was more studies with more data. And critically, it's not just that there were more studies, but there are more studies that were well-conducted, so we didn't consider them at serious risk of bias, and that found very similar to the other studies we already had. So if those studies had found something different, they'd found that more people quit using nicotine replacement therapy, then that wouldn't push us into high certainty evidence. But what we actually had were more trials, which were really consistent in terms of what they showed around the benefits of nicotine e-cigarettes over nicotine replacement therapy for quitting smoking. And so that's what really tipped the balance for us. And, and I'm just so grateful to the scientists and the funders who made those studies happen. Yeah, and I was gonna ask that next actually, is that you know garbage in, garbage out, kind of the old story. So there must be some really high quality uh, studies going on. And a lot of people that are in this business and researching this area, um, we've covered lots. I mean, there's some really strong names in the field that are kind of a part of the, what we used to call the UK cabal. Yes, yes. The UK cabal and some of the US cabal as well. So there are great investigators and in Australia, all over the world doing this work. And it's one of the, I suppose, the most satisfying things about doing living systematic reviews is at the end, we say, these are the studies we'd like to see next, please. And it's really wonderful to see those studies coming out and being able to incorporate their findings. Now, I was surprised to learn that so many of the studies were actually uh, conducted in the US. There's a fairly decent number. That's right, that's right. So we, in terms of the studies that go into our main analyses, those still, I think, have more of a UK bent because they're more likely to get funded and a lot of them take place in the UK stop smoking services. We don't really have quite the same setup in the US that we can draw on, but there is a lot of research going on in the US in this area as well, also in Canada. So it is, it is spreading. Um, and I think there is actually quite a lot of consensus and collaboration between researchers across the pond, as it were. And that is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. And you've written in a paper we'll discuss here in a minute that there is a scientific consensus around the kind of the effectiveness of e-cigarettes. And that kind of makes me think going, well, where is that consensus? Because if there was, how come there's so much misunderstanding around uh, the harms associated, potential harms associated with e-cigarettes? 
Yeah, so I wouldn't say there's overwhelming scientific consensus about the effectiveness of e-cigarettes for helping people quit smoking. I'm hoping that this review kind of helps move that conversation on a lot. What I meant when I was referring to that scientific consensus was that e-cigarettes essentially sit somewhere on a continuum of harm between smoking combustible cigarettes and not using any nicotine containing products, right? So actually when you push it, I think it's very difficult to find many credible researchers who would argue that nicotine e-cigarettes are likely as harmful or more harmful than smoking. You'd also really struggle to find many who would say they're completely harmless. What we're talking about is a continuum of risk and e-cigarettes sitting somewhere on that continuum. And I think really there is quite a lot of consensus around that point, but where a lot of the conflict comes up is around the risks of e-cigarettes to people who don't smoke, right? Um, or to people who wouldn't otherwise be at risk of smoking. And also the usefulness of e-cigarettes for quitting smoking compared to other existing stop smoking aids. Mm. In the U.S., basically, the FDA has is, is made that bargain that says, well, yeah, they may work to help uh, adults quit, but uh, you know, what's the impact on kids? And that's got the priority. So it doesn't matter how much of a benefit they are for adults. It's really about the impact on youth. And that's what you know, weighs more than anything else. I think absolutely regulators have a really tough job here, right? They have to be taking all of these things into account. But I find the kind of narrative about do we help adults quit or do we protect children um, a little bit frustrating. I like to think that probably for our regulator colleagues, they're thinking it through in more detail than that. But I think the way it's represented often in the media or in the press when we're reading about it boils down to those points. And somehow we seem to forget that adult smoking is very bad for kids right? Like really, really unhealthy for kids to grow up in households where people smoke. If your parents smoke, you're much like more likely to go on and smoke yourself. So there's actually when adults quit smoking, whole populations can benefit as well. So if you're a researcher and there are obviously quite a few that are out there who do believe that e-cigarettes are harmful across the board, not just to youth or, you know, so forth. Um, how does, say, this high certainty evidence impact them? Like, it, you know, is it strong enough to change uh, a researcher's mind uh, or? I couldn't possibly say. I hope that for some researchers it might change their mind. I think it's it's important to point out that what we're looking at when we have that high certainty is around effectiveness. It's not around the safety outcome. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the concerns traditionally have been around safety, but there are concerns around effectiveness as well. And I would hope that this helps allay some of those concerns and provide reassurances of what I think a lot of people out there know already, which is that Nicotine cigarettes can help people quit smoking, particularly if they struggled to quit using other methods. Yeah, it certainly was one of the first things that I heard seven years ago when we you know, first started covering this issue. We don't hear it often anymore. And that is, well, they don't work. You know, that used yeah. to be a primary uh, attack. It, I just wonder whether or not if that they'll just move the goalpost. I think it's difficult to say, and I think there's so many things that are being considered, but what I suppose I hope is that as a community, it's recognized that quitting smoking is probably the best thing that anyone who smokes can do for their health. 
that a lot of people find it really hard to do so because cigarettes have been designed to be very, very hard to quit. And we need to be able to offer people any available support that shows it helps um, in order to get those smoking rates down. So the second key message in the media release on this recent review was that there is moderate certainty evidence that e-cigarettes with nicotine increase quit rates compared with e-cigarettes without nicotine. So that was interesting to me. What, what were you getting at there? There is a case of moderate certainty simply because we don't have that many studies. And in those that we have, we don't have that many events. How useful a comparison it is to look at nicotine containing e-cigarettes versus those without nicotine is kind of up for debate. I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that we, when we're evaluating pharmacotherapies, so drugs or pills, we are often looking at a placebo control. And some argue that an e-cigarette without nicotine, when you're looking at helping people quit, is the placebo control. I think there's actually more going on there because I think we know that addiction to smoking is really complex and it involves a lot of behavioral, psychological, and social cues. And that's one of the reasons why e-cigarettes might help people quit smoking in a way that maybe isn't as easy with a patch, which really doesn't mimic the actions of smoking. So I think it's also interesting to look at how much of what's driving the success of nicotine e-cigarettes is down to, it's just another way to provide nicotine or has something to do also with those cues around using an e-cigarette. I get it. So you still get the mouth, the lung and the hands and all of the other exactly. stuff that matter, even if you're using a non-nicotine e-cigarette, and if that's the placebo in the controlled trial, it's going to have some effect on the overall study. Yes, which, you know, we'd expect any, like, that's why we use placebos in trials of pills, because we know there's a placebo effect, but we think there could maybe even be more happening when it comes to an e-cigarette without nicotine. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I was definitely interested in what that was. The third message in this review's release, we did not detect any clear evidence of harm from nicotine e-cigarettes when used to quit smoking. However, longest follow-up was two years and the overall number of studies was small. What we mean there is what we're really interested in are these serious adverse events. So or at least I, that is what I would be interested in if I was taking a medication or trying out a product. Is it likely to make me seriously unwell? And one of the positives about these studies from the perspective of the people in them is that these events are fortunately fairly rare. Um, but what that means statistically is that if you have a lot of studies where very few events happen, it's really difficult to tell if any difference or lack thereof is due to chance alone or due to something that's actually happening because of the product. And I think the other thing that's a real challenge in this area is that we, when we think about the harms from smoking, typically someone doesn't start smoking and six months later, we see the smoking related disease, you know, in, in kind of hard outcome terms, it takes decades sometimes for these outcomes to develop. And here with these trials, we really have fairly short-term follow-up. So we have studies that in statistical terms, aren't powered to look at these serious safety outcomes. You'd need to have studies of 
thousands and thousands of people to be able to kind of detect meaningful differences. And they also don't tend to follow up participants for very long. And, you know, it's really expensive and complicated to follow up participants for a long amount of time. And that, that can be the case in many different areas where we lack long-term safety data, but that continues to be an issue here. And it's of course something that regulators and vapors alike are concerned about are the long-term effects. Yeah. And how do we get that? I mean, it is the single uh, biggest charge is that we don't know what the long-term effects are. And that triggers in precautionary principle and a whole host of other things that makes, you know, the prospect of normalizing the use of e-cigarette products very, you know, tenuous. If, if I can't find a better word for it, but it's tenuous. So how do we get that long-term data? um, If, for instance, the, the study of all studies can't deliver it, um, that's been going on since 2012, what hope is there that we're gonna get that long-term data at some point? I think it's gonna be a while. I think we will get it eventually. Um, I wish I could just like fast forward 30 years and see and then come back now and tell you. Um, But it will take time, right? Patience, really. Um, And it will also take funding. So we need funders to support that work. We need researchers to be carrying it out. And in the meantime, essentially what we do is we look at any kind of hints and signals we can. I think another challenge in this area, of course, is that we know that not all e-cigarettes are created equally as it were. And so realistically, probably different devices will have different long-term safety profiles as well. And that's another thing that ideally a big, well-funded study, quite a few could try and start to tease out. If you think about it, we did, we do know with quite a lot of certainty now the effects of smoking, right? It just took a while for us to get there. And so I think in the future that evidence will come, but in the meantime, it puts us in a really tricky spot. And I think if we were looking at any sort of intervention, which had the same profile as this, so one that looked like it was quite effective, but really where there was a lot of ongoing uncertainty about the safety, the thing that would determine whether or not we used it would be the condition it was treating, right? So if it was a kind of relatively minor condition that wasn't life-threatening, you might look at this and think, I I don't know if it's worth the risk, right? Either as an individual or as a regulator, as a clinician, here the condition we're trying to treat, the thing we're trying to do is help people stop smoking, which we know is an incredibly serious condition. We know that it's really, really hard to stop smoking. And so I think we do have uncertainty to grapple with and some really difficult decisions. But what I always really hope is that we also don't lose sight of the importance of people stopping smoking and the fact that, yeah, we might not know in great detail the long-term safety profile of e-cigarettes, but what we do know in a lot of detail is how harmful smoking is and all the evidence we have so far. And as I mentioned earlier, expert consensus really is that e-cigarettes are less harmful than smoking. One of the areas of research that could help address this issue is looking at biomarkers of harm. You are the lead author on a paper that released in spring of this year, 2022, in the journal Addiction. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what we were interested in doing there was looking at what we call biomarkers of potential harm. Um, And what that means is measures of things in people's blood, breath, and urine that could potentially signal risk or harm. So those might be known carcinogens or toxins, things like that. 
Ideally, we'd be looking at hard outcome data on heart attacks, on deaths, but in the absence of that data, this can start give us, giving us some clues really about what might be going on to help inform judgment calls that need to be made now. They can't wait decades before we make calls about this and, and what we tell the people who smoke. And so what we did in this is we used the same studies that are in our Cochrane Review at the moment, but our Cochrane Review looks at the impact of providing someone with a nicotine e-cigarette compared to not providing them with that. That is absolutely what it's supposed to look at. That's how trials are designed. But what we wanted to do in this biomarkers paper was look at it from a slightly different angle because we know that not everyone who's given a nicotine e-cigarette in those trials will necessarily use one. We also know in these trials that a lot of the time, at least some people in the other arm, the arm that isn't given an e-cigarette, start using an e-cigarette of their own accord. So what we looked at in this biomarker study was in these studies of people who were given e-cigarettes to help them quit smoking, what did it look like, let's say a week or longer on in terms of these biomarkers when we broke down people in groups based on what they were actually doing. So people who continued to smoke and weren't vaping at all, people who are both vaping and smoking or dual users, as we might call them, people who are vaping only. We also wanted to look at people who weren't smoking or vaping, but there was very little data on that group. We know what smoking does to the body. We know that all the thousands of toxins and the effects that go on. So if you're looking for certain reactions uh, in the body, you know, as in biomarkers from those yeah. that are vaping, you know, if it was harmful, like cigarette smoking was, then you should be seeing some biomarker activity, some form of activity going on, which is absent from what I understand. It's not so much that it is necessarily absent. So if you gave people who'd never smoked e-cigarettes, you would at least for some biomarkers see increases. But if you're getting people who smoke to switch to vaping, what you see or what we found in our review were reductions in those biomarkers. Now, this kind of research uh, could hopefully kind of bridge the gap in terms of the time between now and when real long-term evidence is in. It's not going to answer all the big questions, right? It's not going to solve our uncertainty. But I think we are dealing with such a serious public health problem that we need to be using all the evidence we have to make informed decisions now. And, and I hope that this can be part of that. It behooves me to bring up uh, the great research in the UK, the former Public Health England, and their big review just came out. And obviously another massive piece of work that, you know, supporting this evidence all pushing forward in the, you know, in the direction of that these are effective and should be used. That's right. So that formerly Public Health England, now the Office of Health Improvements and Disparities um, report undertaken by Professor Ann McNeil and colleagues at King's College London, really doing an enormous amount of work. Um, their review didn't look in great detail at this effectiveness for smoking cessation question, because essentially they, they kind of pointed to our review and said someone else was already doing all that work, which we were, but they looked in, in a lot of detail at a number of different things, including things like these biomarkers of harms, potential health risks, also at things involving youth use, um, different regulatory questions. So another huge body of work coming out of the UK that you know, when I when I talk about expert consensus, I include this group in it. Their work shows that e-cigarettes, though not risk-free, uh, I think the new wording is carry only a fraction of the risk of smoking.
carry only a fraction of the risk of smoking. Or carry a small fraction of the risk of smoking. You might want to look it up because I'm not sure I've quoted it exactly right, but along those lines. So is it is it still fair to use the, you know, uh, vaping is 95% safer than smoking? They've moved away from that 95%. Um, in part, or actually probably for a most part, because it is very, very difficult to quantify, especially when we have so many different devices on the market at this point and so many different liquids, et cetera, et cetera. But my understanding is they don't think that that number is far off. It's not like if they came out now and were forced to put a number on it, they'd put a different number on it. But I think their new statement acknowledges that there is likely some variation within that. Now we spoke uh, about the misunderstandings and I'd like to give you an opportunity to maybe paint whatever kind of picture you could around, say some of the groups out there. I mean, University of Bath has not been friendly at all to these uh, products. Uh, neither has the World Health Organization or Bloomberg Philanthropies or Truth Initiative or Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids or Vital Strategies. The list could go on, though those are the main ones. How is it that they're not understanding this research, the way it's been presented both from in the former Public Health England and then, of course, Cochrane? I think that for the most part, collaborators in this area within the space of tobacco control all essentially want the same thing, right? Which is to help prevent preventable death and disease. And I think we're actually on the same page about quite a lot of things, regardless of the take on e-cigarettes in particular. And, you know, I've sat at the same table as many of these people. Some of them I count as valued colleagues. And I think ultimately we don't disagree as much as it sometimes comes across that we do, if that makes sense. So I think the, the I suppose, controversy might be too strong of a word, but the disagreement about the strength of the evidence when it comes to whether or not e-cigarettes help people quit smoking has probably been somewhat overstated. Um, and I think when we think of groups who are really critical or concerned about e-cigarettes, for the most part, at least now, I think the narrative is that the concerns are around use in people who wouldn't otherwise smoke, around whether or not they kind of let the tobacco industry back at the table, as it were. I think there's some very serious and very well-grounded concerns that essentially they debates around e-cigarettes have distracted us from carrying out some of the important work we've done in terms of driving smoking rates down. So I am not sure that those groups actually disagree with our findings, if that makes sense. They're just focused on different populations and messaging than this particular review is. Certainly on the messaging part, I'd agree with you. Um, look, we've heard from researchers that there's a concerted effort now, more than ever, to ostracize or at least push scientists out of conducting, you know, th those scientists conducting research that could be considered, I, I hate this term, pro-e-cigarettes, but those that are willing to deliver results that uh, say that, you know, tobacco harm reduction is valid or so forth. Are you familiar with that? Is that something you've seen? No, it isn't actually. So I am lucky in that I have not been exposed to that. I suppose I still feel quite respected within the community. And I think what I always try and be very clear about, um, especially when talking to certain audiences where I feel I need to make this clear, is that I'm not funded by the tobacco industry. I'm not funded by the e-cigarette industry. 
I am not actually pro e-cigarettes, but I am at the end of the day, pro evidence. And I follow a handbook, literally the Cochrane handbook in terms of the way in which I analyze evidence. And so when it comes to e-cigarettes, as with any other intervention, when I go into the research I do, I'm agnostic, right? What I want to do is combine the results using the best available methods and see what they show so that people who then make decisions can make those decisions with the best available evidence to hand. And this brings me to a, a question I had about a year ago when I first saw an announcement on this. And I understand that come March 2023, there are some changes happening within the Cochrane Review. What's happening and how might these changes affect the great work your team and you are doing? Yeah, well, I am very sorry to say that as of March 2023, all UK-based Cochrane Review groups will cease functioning. So there's quite a few re review groups. This is in no way kind of specific to our work as the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group. Um, but the main funder of these groups has withdrawn funding. And so the work we do will no doubt change as a result. We're still seeking renewed funding to carry on our work on e-cigarettes. Um, we know it's really important. We really want to continue doing it. We think there's still some really important uncertainties too that we want to be able to address, but certainly our funding situation has become substantially more precarious than it was previously. That's such a disaster. I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, certainly it's the whole Cochrane, everything. It's all, everything Cochrane is working on. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a lot. And we we can still go out and seek funding to carry out specific reviews and we'll continue to do that as well. But us as a Cochrane tobacco addiction group, sadly, uh, our days are numbered. Is it possible that the name could live on too? Because one of the things that I've found covering issues in this space that we really hurt for losing public health England, there was a lot of brand there that is now yeah. gone and Cochrane has yeah. brand um, and yeah. will that be gone? I don't think the plan is that the brand will be gone. So I very much hope it continues. There are people kind of at a much higher level than me and Cochrane who are working and making plans for what the next phase of Cochrane is going to look like. But we absolutely know it's a trusted name and we want to keep using its methods and, and make the most of its name and the trust that people have in it. Excellent. Well, last question then for you, Dr. Hartman Boyce, that is for the first time I can remember, it really does feel like a turn is happening regarding the evidence around nicotine vapes, maybe even some, you know, some advancement going on with some of those that we consider on our side opponents. What do you might think uh, 2023 will bring? Hmm, great question. One never really knows what's around the corner anymore, especially when it comes to public health. But I think we do have more studies that we know are in the pipeline that are answering important questions. and. I am looking forward to those coming out and hopefully being able to integrate them in our review. You know, it's the way that other treatments have worked in this space. You know, the first thing with traditional nicotine replacement therapy was, okay, does it even work, right? Is there any hope for this? It was established that yes, it does work. And then they started getting into the really meaty questions. Okay, how does it work best? What do we do? How long do we take it for? What forms do we take it in? You know. What doses of nicotine do we have? What advice do we give to go along with it? What behavioral support do we offer? All of this. So I think there's a lot more to be done in this space around how we might optimize the use of nicotine e-cigarettes for smoking cessation. And I really hope we can start answering some of those questions with more certainty over the coming years. 